Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. We confess in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus Christ is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. We don't realize how profound this is, to be redeemed, to be purchased from sin, death, and the power of the devil, to be bought not with gold or silver, but with holy, precious blood. And we might think, well, of course, well, of course, this is how we are saved. You know, we know this, it's by the cross. You know, for us, the cross has become so ubiquitous that we don't even think of it. The cross has become an article of clothing, Movie stars whose lives give, lives give no evidence that Christ, uh, their lives have nothing to do with Christ. They wear the, the cross as a necklace. Uh, the cross is in our homes, on our walls. We see it in graveyards. We see it on roadsides, on billboards, on bumper stickers. The cross becomes something we take for granted when we see it all the time. And because when we see it, do we, do we ever think why the cross was necessary, and why the cost of our sins was holy, precious blood. Our epistle lesson from Hebrews explains why. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that were coming, he went through the greater and more complete tent, which was not made by human hands. He entered once into the most holy place and obtained eternal redemption, not by the blood of of goats and calves, but by his own blood. The book of Hebrews explains the Levitical or uh, priestly, churchly, ecclesiastical ceremonies in the Old Testament and how they they all find their fulfillment in Jesus. The verses leading up to our text, the ten verses leading up to our text, explain the furnishings of the tabernacle, uh, the movable tent, uh, the earthly sanctuary made, built with hands that served as the temple for the Israelites in the wilderness. It had two rooms, the holy place with a, a golden lampstand and a table with the bread of the presence. And beyond the holy place was a second room, the most holy place or the holy of holies. And in this room, there was a golden censer used for incense, and the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was an urn holding some manna that God had fed the Israelites with in the wilderness. It held Aaron's staff that had budded. And finally, it held the two stone tablets of the covenant on which God had written the Ten Commandments. Above the Ark, the glorious cherubim, overshadowed the atonement seat, which was the exact place where God would meet his people. These two rooms were separated by a massive curtain, a massive veil. 
The Holy of Holies was a very restricted room. The only person who could enter that room was the high priest. The only person who could see beyond the veil was the high priest. And he could only enter that room once per year on the Day of Atonement. And he would enter that room three times. The first time, he would take the golden censer with the incense, and he would fill the most holy place with smoke. And not just a little hazy like our church was last Friday for the Annunciation service, but it would be filled with smoke, enough to hide his view of the glory of God, to veil him even as he is in there. And so then he would go in a second time to offer the blood of a bull for his own sins. And finally, the high priest would go in a third time, this time to sprinkle the blood of a goat, a lamb, on the altar, on the ark, for the sins of the people. So now think about this. The blood that is being sprinkled on the ark, which contains, remember, the two tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, that blood is creating a barrier between God's law, which was inside the ark, and the people who were outside of the tabernacle. God, who in his glory sat above the ark on the mercy seat, on the atonement seat, looked down and saw not the law that had been broken by the people, but the blood of the goat that had been offered in their place. That blood covered or veiled the people. And this was only one example of literally thousands and thousands of sacrifices that would be performed at the temple every year outside of the most holy place. In general, two lambs would be sacrificed each and every day, not to mention the many other types of sacrifices of of birds, bulls, and goats. That blood was what was required by God for sin. All of it was to be a reminder of just how bad sin is, how much sin leaves a stain that cannot be removed by any amount of human effort. The temple area would be filled with blood, blood draining on the ground. The priest's robes would be stained in blood. Every day they had to wash them to get the blood out. The altar would be dripping with blood, and even the people would be sprinkled with blood. Every sin committed against God's law, every sin cries out to God for justice and punishment. The killing of someone innocent. And this is the accusing work of God's covenant made in stone, the Ten Commandments, which apply not only to the Israelites, but to all people, to us. The law shows us our sin. As Luther said, legis semper accusat, the law always accuses. The law always accuses. You and I stand guilty. And it doesn't really matter if you feel guilty or not. You are guilty. You and I have sinned and transgressed each and every single one of God's commands. 
for as many sacrifices as were being offered in the temple, and then some. If you aren't concerned about your sins, well then that's just one more sin you can add on to your slate, to your record. When a convicted criminal feels no guilt or remorse over the sins that he is, uh, of which he is guilty, it is good and right for the punishment to be harsher. But when the high priest each year offered the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, and all the other sacrifices each and every day, those sacrifices were visible sermons. Sermons of law and gospel. They preached to God's people not just that they were sinners, not just the law that showed them their sin, but that God was also accepting the death of another in their place. But the problem was that this blood, even with the incredible amount that was being shed and offered, was never enough. It was never enough. Each and every year, the process would repeat. The priest would go into the most holy place again and do the same sacrifices over and over and over and over. The writer to the Hebrews explains that all these things were merely a picture or a shadow, he says, of the things to come, the good things to come. It was as if God's plan to save the world, the the, the means by which God would save the world was was veiled. It could be dimly seen as as through a veil. You You could make out the outline, the shadow, but not fully. Even the temple itself, as grand as it was, was merely a picture a shadow of something greater, something more real. So now that brings us to our text. Notice it begins, but when Christ appeared as the high priest, Christ is the high priest, and he has not come not just into the tabernacle, but what the the tabernacle represented. That what it was a picture of. When God told Moses to construct the movable tabernacle and all the furnishings in it, it was meant to be a copy of what was actually going on in the courtroom of heaven. The earthly tabernacle was the copy. But now Jesus, the great high priest, is going into the real thing, into the heavenly courtroom, into that reality. And when does he do this? He does it as he is lifted up for all the world to see. He does it as his hands and feet are being nailed to the altar of the cross. He offers up his blood for our sins. Not the blood of goats and bulls, but his own holy, precious blood. It is on Good Friday that the veil is lifted. Christ has appeared as the great high priest. And God's entire plan of salvation, what the tabernacle prefigured, what the sacrifices were meant to point to, and what even the office of the priest, the high priest, was meant to do, is fulfilled completely in the death of Jesus on the cross. 
In fact, the moment Jesus dies, he cries out, it is finished. And at that moment, as Jesus dies as the once-for-all sacrifice, uh, atonement for the people, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the curtain, the veil of the tabernacle is ribbed in two from top to bottom. The veil that had previously separated the Israelites from God is gone, ripped open. There is no separation. Rather, there is complete atonement. Atonement meaning that we are at one with God. So now when the Father looks at a record, looks for a record of your sin, he doesn't see it. Instead, there is a new veil, an eternal veil over your sin. Your sin has been veiled, it's been covered completely by the blood of Jesus that you receive in holy baptism. As Hebrews says, this Jesus has done once for all. By entering into the most holy place, he has obtained eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. In my home, we have the benefit of looking forward to Sunday morning and talking about things in advance that we're going to see and hear. Uh, my oldest son talk, uh, heard me talk about the veil and the cross and how we were going to, to, to cover it, and, and he was wondering if we were going to remove the cross on Good Friday. It was a great question, so I got the opportunity to, to, to talk about this very thing and what redemption means. How to redeem means to buy back. And he goes, huh, like we buy shoes or toys. Well, yeah, exactly, except the price for our sin was a lot higher than shoes. Jesus bought us back not with money, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood. As Christ's blood drains from him, he restores to us a promised eternal inheritance. God the Father accepts Christ's innocent death on my behalf. And so you and I are declared not guilty. We have been redeemed, bought back. And notice how fully Hebrews says. Hebrews says Christ's blood cleanses our consciences from dead works. Not just sin. We know we're cleansed from sin. We know we're bought back, we're redeemed from sin. But we are cleansed from dead works. We know that our sins separate us from God, but, but we also think the opposite is true. We think that God is pleased with us because of our works. That our works bring us closer to God. But this is not true. They are nothing but dead works. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse us from even our good works which are nothing but dead works. And the blood of Christ has cleansed us. And not only that, but allows us to serve, as Hebrews says, the living God. The living God. Jesus, who is I am. Greater than Abraham, greater than the prophets, he is God eternal. And through his death, we, like Abraham, who Jesus said rejoiced, to see his day, Jesus' day, and saw it and was glad because of the resurrection, we too receive life from death. The altar of the cross 
upon which God died is the very instrument that gives me eternal life. So from today until Good Friday, the image of the cross is veiled as a reminder of what it took to redeem you and I from our sins, from death and from the power of the devil. I pray that you never take the cross for granted. Don't think of your sin lightly, but ponder what the cross means. And look in faith to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by his blood. And not only that, but who for you gives you his own blood for the remission of all your sins. Jesus Christ is your Lord, who has redeemed you, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won you from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. In Jesus' name, amen.